Cue and Review, celebrating 40 years of audio production, welcomes you to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, recorded from our studio in the Bishopbriggs Media Centre and by our volunteers working from home. Keep up to date with Cue and Review news via our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Cue and Review, that's at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W or get in touch with us directly by emailing information at qreview.com that's I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M or by calling 0141-772-3976 Please like and share our podcast and give us constructive feedback. Evening Times, April 25. Club 1872 pass Ibrox threshold with share purchase. Report by Chris Jack. Club 1872 have completed a £250,000 share purchase to move through the 5% Rangers shares threshold once again. The supporter organisation saw their potentially defining agreement with Dave King fall through earlier this year after the former Ibrox chairman cited a lack of interest in the deal and pulled the plug. But more than 1 million shares in RIFC PLC have now been purchased from a private investor as Club 1872, the ninth largest shareholder in Rangers, increased their stake in recent days. Former Chairman Douglas Park agreed to meet with Club 1872 before he stepped down from the top table three weeks ago but no date has been set for a sit-down with successor John Bennett. A statement read, Club 1872 can today announce the purchase of 1,250,000 shares from a private seller at the price of 20 pence per share for a total of £250,000. This represents a 20% discount on the price that shares are currently being issued by the RIFC board and takes Club 1872 back above 5% shareholding in RIFC. Although RIFC has held three small share issues already in this calendar year, and although we remain in the process of trying to organise a meeting with the RIFC board Club 1872 has not been asked to participate. We were also not aware of the existence of these shares issues prior to the detail being posted on Companies House. We cannot therefore provide any information to contributors or the wider support at this time on the purpose of this fundraising. In the absence of shares being on offer from RIFC, the Club 1872 board has been working hard to find avenues to continue to grow our shareholding 
and fulfil the core purpose of Club 1872 Shares, CIC. We would like to thank the private seller for their support of Club 1872 and their wish to see their shares remain in the hands of supporters. The board would also like to once again thank our contributors for their dedication to Club 1872, which allows us to remain a major shareholder in RIFC. We would encourage all Rangers supporters to join Club 1872 in order to retain a crucial major shareholder voice in the club we all love. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times Sport, April 25 Nick Rogers says, even after latest surgery, Woods will not want to throw in the towel. I had my first 18 holes of the season last week in an Open Championship media competition at Hoylake and, as you can probably imagine, it was an exercise in enjoyable, enthusiastic incompetence. With a swing that was still clearly in hibernation and had about as much elegance as the laboured thrashings of a prison inmate breaking rocks for a stone culvert, I bookended the round with a brace of meaty eights. In between that rousing start and grandstand finish, there were fleeting moments of implausible magic, regular burst of flabbergasting madness, and plenty of absurd mysteries that will remain unexplained. Handing in my score to the organisers at the end, meanwhile, was the kind of sombre exchange of paraphernalia you'd get when a funeral director passes out a coffin card to the principal mourner. As I often say to those who ask how I played, well, it was a steady round, sullied by a couple of pars. All being well, we'll be back at Howlake in the summer for the 151st Open. As for Tiger Woods returning to the course, where he won his third claret jug in 2006, well, that would appear a busted flush now. News last week that he had undergone yet another operation prompted the usual panting fever of speculation about the end being nigh again. Woods, of course, has been teetering on the precipice of no return for over a decade now, but has always delivered a Harvey Smith salute to the doubters. His astonishing Masters win in 2019, for instance, was the ultimate act of defiance. But how many acts are left? This latest operation, to fuse the ankle that was shattered in a car crash, continues a familiar pattern in the tiger tail. Woods gets hurt. He goes under the surgeon's knife. We write him off. He comes back with dogged determination and whoops everybody into a frenzy about the prospect of doing the things he used to do before he gets hurt again, retreats into convalescence, and we all end up back at square one. On and on it goes. It can't go on forever, though. Whether it's his knee, his back, his foot or his ankle, 
Most of us are now so well versed in the medical glossary of terms that accompany Tiger's myriad surgical procedures. We would probably write an explorative thesis in The Lancet. Woods is 47, but he's an old 47 physically. Golf allows players to remain competitively relevant for longer than most other sports. Tom Watson nearly winning the Open at 59. Phil Mickelson landing the US PGA at 50. And Bernhard Langer still rattling off wins at 65. Underline the age-defying wonders of this great generation game. The idea, however, of Woods adding to his vast hall of titles on the regular tour is rooted in the realms of sentimentality rather than reality. Now, cut that sentence out of the paper, and when he wins in 2024, you can send it to me so I can eat it along with my heart. What eager observers want him to do is in stark contrast to what his buckled, battered frame will allow him to do. Watching an agonised woods hipple towards a withdrawal at the Masters, over the course where he had that seminal triumph 25 years earlier, was a sorry sight. It was certainly not the way he would want to be remembered, essentially a hobbling part-time relic from a different age. Then again the sheer bloody mindedness, the slogs through the pain barrier, and the excruciating grind he endures just to get his body hauled onto the tee has in many ways burnished the legend. The struggle continues to bring admiration. The words in a brief statement inform the world of his latest operation indicated that Woods will embrace that struggle yet again. Tiger is currently recovering and looks forward to beginning his rehabilitation, it said. Goodness knows when we'll see him again, but Woods is clearly not ready to give up on competing at the highest level, even if the prospect of winning, or even contending, grows ever more fanciful. One scribbler jokingly likened Wood's latest battle to the futile situation of the knight in Monty Python, who wants to keep on fighting despite all being lost, including his two arms. It's just a flesh wound, he declared with farcical resistance. Woods, and Woods alone, will decide when his time is up. Until that day arrives, the when, where, will he, won't he saga, surrounding yet another comeback, will roar on. Even in his absence, Woods remains an all-consuming presence. And another thing. The first major of the women's season served up a thrilling finale, with Lilia Vu edging out Angel Ian at the Chevron Championship. Vu had been a former world amateur number one, but struggled with the transition to the pro scene and had pondered giving up the game. Her major moment was a great tale of persistence. The event had moved from its traditional iconic home of Mission Hills in California to Carlton Woods in Texas for sponsorship reasons. This was a big stage with big money. 
The big-time atmosphere, though, was sorely lacking due to the sparse crowds. It was a shame the first women's major didn't have a major feel, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, April 25. Rangers in Aberdeen and police talks after chance and bus damage. Report by Chris Jack. Rangers are in discussions with Police Scotland after a supporter was injured by a missile that was allegedly thrown through the window of a bus following their Premiership defeat to Aberdeen on Sunday. And the Ibrox Club have been left disgusted by the vile chants from sections of the home support that mocked the victims of the disaster and legendary figures on and off the park. Michael Beale saw his side suffer a shock 2-0 defeat to the Reds as second-half goals from Liam Scales and Bojan Miofsky extended their impressive recent run under the guidance of interim boss Barry Robson. But the Premiership fixture, which was broadcast live on Sky Sports, was marred by a series of unsavoury incidents as the home support shamed their club with chants about the Ibrox disaster. Nine-in-a-row legend Ian Durant was once again targeted by fans, and a song to the tune of Super Trooper, which mocks the deaths of Davy Cooper, Walter Smith and Jimmy Bell, was also heard. Former Don's midfielder Ryan Jack was also subject to taunts in a depraved verse, and Rangers have taken up the matter with their pitotry counterparts regarding those incidents during the high-profile Premiership clash. Discussions are also ongoing with Police Scotland, after an 18-year-old man was arrested and charged in connection with damage caused to a bus on Hutchin Street. Four other males, aged between 16 and 24, were arrested and charged in connection with a number of offences around Pitodre, and are also due to appear at Aberdeen Sheriff Court at a later date. A Rangers spokesperson said, Rangers are liaison with both Police Scotland and Aberdeen FC, following a number of incidents both during and after the match at Pitodre. The club can confirm a Rangers supporter was injured after missiles were thrown at Rangers supporters' buses as they departed in convoy from the stadium. The club is also disgusted by chanting from the Aberdeen sections of the stadium, which mocked the Ibrox disaster, the deaths of club legends, and the desire for a number of the current first-team squad to die. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times Sport, April 25 Rangers set for six-figure bonus. Report by Chris Jack Ross McCrory will bank Rangers a six-figure bonus if he clinches a £2 million switch to championship outfit Bristol City this summer. The 25-year-old is poised to bring an end to his time at Pitodre in the coming weeks 
after the Robins made their move to secure his signature ahead of the new campaign. Talks between City and Aberdeen are ongoing and an agreement is now close as McCrory prepares for his first crack at England after establishing himself in the Premiership in recent seasons. McCrory joined the Dons on an initial loan deal in August 2020 and the move was made permanent six months later as Scott Wright headed in the opposite direction and joined the Light Blues. Rangers inserted a sell-on clause in that agreement and will now receive around £200,000 if the former Auchenhowie graduate puts pen to paper at Ashton Gate. McCrory captained Barry Robson's side to victory over his former club on Sunday. Aberdeen are five points clear of Hearts heading into the final five Premiership fixtures this term and are well on course to secure the best of the rest spot and a return to European action. Robson dismissed questions about his own position in the aftermath of the 2-0 victory, but the future of McCrory seems clearer as Robin's boss Nigel Pearson seeks to land his man sooner rather than later. The loss of McCrory will be a significant blow to Aberdeen and whoever takes their seat in the Pitodri dugout next term as the Reds seek to put the embarrassing end to the Jim Goodwin era behind them, heading into the new campaign. Robson has transformed the fortunes of his side in recent weeks, but when asked about his long-term ambitions on Sunday, he said, Five questions in. You know the answer, don't you? We'll talk about that later. Let's not get carried away about me, or are you going to get the job? Let's put this about the players and the fans. It's not about me. Put it on them. Talk about how good they've been, how much they ran and fought for the club. That's what I'd like all of you to talk about, not about me. Report by Chris Jackson Evening Times Sport April 26 Ball and Golly was not only Celtic star to break Covid rules. Report by David Irvin Neil Lennon has admitted Bolly Ball and Golly was not the only Celtic player to flout strict Covid travel laws. The former Celtic manager made the revelation that two more unnamed players broke rules with trips to Manchester and Amsterdam during the lockdown at the height of the pandemic. Ball and Golly, now at Mechelen, had broken rules to fly to Marbella during a few days off, despite warnings to stay in Glasgow from club chiefs. Lennon revealed the players had been left in no uncertain terms over their responsibility to remain in Scotland. He explained that Ball and Golly originally claimed he had travelled to Belgium to see family before confessing to his Marbella trip. Lennon then held a meeting with players to uncover whether any other first-team players had broken rules. No players came forward initially, but Lennon revealed two players then owned up to breaking Covid rules on travel by taking trips to Amsterdam and Manchester. 
discussing the scenario in an exclusive interview with PLZ Soccer. Lennon said, We had the bowling golly incident at the start of that season. We'd played Hamilton and gave him a couple of days off and said you're not allowed to leave Glasgow. A week later we're playing Kilmarnock. In between that he had gone to Spain, not told anyone, and then was in the squad and played a bit of the game. Then the story develops, 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 and we said, you were not supposed to leave Glasgow. What did you do? He said he flew out and then drove over the border to Belgium to see his family. Two hours later, he rings me and says, actually, I went to Marbella for the day. He's a grown man. What can you do? I then had a meeting with the players. Did anyone else leave Glasgow? No. Later on, I get two phone calls from players, I'm not going to say who, saying, I was in Amsterdam and I was in Manchester. You're like, guys, come on. Looking back on it was really difficult for them. They missed their families. There were no restaurants and no social interaction with people and they broke the rules. I get it. Report by David Irvin Evening Times Sport April 26 Former Scotland rugby captain Laidlaw calls time on playing career. Former Scotland captain and scrum half Greg Laidlaw has announced his retirement from rugby. The 37-year-old began his career with Edinburgh before moving on to Gloucester and Clermont Auvergne. He currently plays for Javadese club Urayasi Dirox. Laidlaw earned 76 caps, including 39 test appearances as captain, and toured New Zealand with the 2017 British and British Lions. He retired from international rugby after the 2019 World Cup in Japan and now plans to start a coaching career. We intend as a family to stay in Japan a while longer, but it is here I will finally hang up my playing boots, Laidlaw wrote on Instagram. It is time to take everything I have learned from a playing career I could only have dreamt of and move on into coaching. Throughout my playing career, I have pushed myself. I have taken on new experiences, continuously learned and immersed myself in different cultures. I have always enjoyed figuring out how to work as a team and how to get the best out of my teammates, things I will take with me and continue to develop. I believe I have developed a really strong skill set in performing under pressure and leadership, the two areas that I have learned more about and that have always fascinated me. Evening Times Sport April 26 Grass is not always greener, says Kyle Vassell. Report by Ewan Payton Kyle Vassell is a man used to being on the move. 
The striker has turned out for 20 clubs in 13 years as a professional player, with his career taking him from Lancashire to California. Kilmarnock became the latest club to join that lengthy list when Derek McInnes signed the powerful forward in January this year. He initially joined on a short-term deal as he left San Diego loyal for Ayrshire. Although in an unusual move for Vassal, he recently penned a new two-year contract to extend his stay at Rugby Park until 2025. The Milton Keynes-born frontman insists he feels at home in Killy, with various factors showing him that the grass is not always greener. Vassal explained, It was an easy decision for many reasons. I am enjoying my football so much. The gaffer has allowed me freedom and has given me so much confidence. He makes it easy for me and the fans have been brilliant since I came in. The club bent over backward to make my girlfriend and I feel welcome when we arrived in Scotland. All of those little things add up and it was easy for me. I had no hesitation in signing the deal because I don't even want to think about us being relegated. I am doing all I can to keep us in this division. If we go down, it would be less than ideal, but I am just focusing on us being a premiership club. I don't worry about the what-ifs. It feels right for me to be here, and I am enjoying it. I don't enjoy losing. No one does and no one wants to be in a relegation fight. But when I am playing, I feel so comfortable, and I haven't had that a lot in my career. Only a few times has it happened, and what I have learned in all my moves is when you have that happiness, cherish it, and keep hold of it. Sometimes you think the grass is greener, and it isn't. Yes, you move on as you have opportunities you have to take, like going to the Championship in England. But the grass isn't always greener, and there's an environment here where I feel like I am thriving. It would be silly of me not to continue my career here. For the first time in three years, I was on standby for Northern Ireland, so I'm moving in the right direction. I don't feel the need to have a home, but my girlfriend Jasmine does. I wanted her to be settled, but I could move around. No problem, as I am used to it. It is important to have somewhere you are content, which can bring consistency, as that is the most important thing for a player. McInnes is regarded as one of the best man-managers in the country. His people's skills have been well documented in the past from his successful experiences at Aberdeen. Vassal insists he'd run through a brick wall for his gaffer, revealing that it's the little things that make him the manager he is, as he provided a recent example. The striker added, It was easy to come to Kilmarnock. Everyone knows about California, and a lot of people want to live there. It is an amazing place with incredible weather, but that was never a factor for me. Football came first, 
And when I went over there, I went to play for Landon Donovan. If he had been working in the coldest part of Canada, I would have gone there. I had to think of the best place for me to play football. And after speaking to the gaffer here, it was an easy decision. It's just the little things with the gaffer. For example, we had an accident with the dog, Peanut, before the Inverness game, and I stayed down with the missus. It was touch and go whether the dog was going to die. The gaffer asked Chris Burke to drive me up on the day of the game. Loads of little compounding things to go with how he is as a manager and how he coaches me, how he speaks to me and gets his point across. Vassal has netted twice in his Killy career so far, with both of those goals coming in the Scottish Cup. He's determined to get off the mark in the Premiership, to fire Killy to top flight safety and he said, You haven't seen the best of me yet because you have not seen me put the ball in the back of the net consistently. But outside the box, I'd say I'm almost where I want to be. There are still things in games I feel I could have done better. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, April 26 Hibbs win red card appeal Report by Aidan Smith Hibs have had their James Jagel red card appeal accepted by the SFA following his dismissal against St Johnson at the weekend. The midfielder was ordered off shortly after half-time for a challenge on Saints winger Connor McLennan. Referee Craig Napier quickly handed out a red card and VAR agreed with his decision, seeing no clear and obvious error. Hibbs appealed, and an SFA fast-track tribunal hearing accepted the claim of wrongful dismissal and overturned the red card and suspension, replacing it with a yellow card. A Scottish FA statement read, Claim partially upheld. The red card offence Serious foul play is rescinded and replaced with cautionable offence, recklessly tackles or challenges an opponent. It means that Jago will be available for selection in Hibbs post-split fixtures. And a Hibbs statement read, We are pleased to confirm that our appeal has been successful. After reviewing the club's evidence and extensive footage, the appeal panel convened by the SFA has overturned the red card and replaced it with a yellow. Hibbs Chief Executive Ben Kensel hailed, Common sense has prevailed, and added, We are pleased, and the appeal panel has overturned the red card. This is a positive outcome. However, throughout the current campaign, we have raised serious concerns with the standard of officiating across the Scottish game on at least five occasions where decisions have wrongly gone against us. We will work with other clubs and the SFA to bring needed improvement 
to the current systems. Lee Johnson had launched a blistering attack on referee Craig Napier and his fellow officials after being left flabbergasted by what he felt was a horrendous decision to send off Jago. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport, April 26 John McGlynn in Falkirk, who would have believed it admission? Report by Liam Bryce It is as though John McGlynn cannot quite comprehend it himself. Who would have believed this time last year Falkirk would be in a Scottish Cup semi-final with a realistic opportunity, he says, smiling as his head shakes in response. It is no exaggeration to state this was a club in disarray less than 12 months ago. The 61-year-old surprised many by leaving Wraith Rovers in the Championship to take over a team which had just recorded its worst ever season. The anger which spewed forth from fans amid that dreadful campaign led to major mid-season boardroom upheaval, one where a beleaguered team eventually finished sixth in the third tier. From the very top down, however, seeds of recovery have been sown. They may have watched rivals Dunfermline soar to the league title, but McGlynn has secured Falkirk a playoff place in their quest to return to the championship, and on Saturday he will lead them out at Hamden against Inverness Caledonian Thistle. Avoiding Celtic or Rangers in the last four has presented both these underdogs with a monumental opportunity, the kind McGlynn knows does not come around very often, even in his long career. He is hell-bent on ensuring it is a chance grasped with both hands. Said the former Hearts manager, We are delighted that we're coming to the end of April and we've got a Scottish Cup semi-final. We're not playing Celtic Rangers or Aberdeen Hibs Hearts. We're playing Inverness, who are a championship team in really good form, but we do have a chance. We've got loads to play for. We have the playoffs and the opportunity to get to the championship, which is our bread and butter. That's very, very important to us. We'd probably swap that for a cup final place, or certainly I would. I'm not so sure the board would with the money that comes with this. That's a bit in jest. It's massive, the opportunity to get to a Scottish Cup final. I'm 61 now but I'm still ambitious. Who knows when it will happen again? Stephen McGinn and others are coming to the end of their careers. Who knows when they're going to get into a semi-final with a good opportunity to get to a final. You've really, really got to grasp this opportunity, take it with both hands, and make sure you don't leave anything on the pitch. For all their struggles, Falkirk remain an attractive proposition. McGlynn feels their place is in the upper echelons of the SPFL, and he has recruited a number of players who know what it's like to be there and will feel they still belong. His decision to leave Wraith was questioned, 
But he says he and assistant Paul Smith both saw the potential for something special. That's why Paul and myself have come here, because we know the potential, McGlynn insisted. We knew it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be hard. But to be honest, what we've done has happened maybe even quicker. I know we haven't won the league, and we have to compliment Dunfermline on doing that. But when you speak to fans, they'll tell you how much they are proud the football club is heading in the right direction. That means a lot to us. The icing on the cake would be getting to a cup final and going up. We would go up with so much momentum that it would give us a chance. The football club is big enough to go up and up. I'm not getting carried away because we still have to do Saturday before we can go any further forward. But the potential is here to really kick on. We've got to believe we can do that. McGlynn believes he has a solid cup CV, one that includes two Challenge Cup successes with Wraith and getting Hearts into a League Cup final, albeit he lost his job before the showpiece game was played, taking a third team tier all the way to the final Scottish Cup hurdle, that would be something special. That's a motivation, he said. We're very proud to be here as a League One team. Falkirk shouldn't be here, but they've been here for four years now. Let's not kid ourselves on. It's not been easy getting out of that league. The longer you're there, the more the budget depreciates and everything goes back. It's a great achievement to get to a Hamden in a semi and we'll grasp the chance to get to a final. Report by Liam Bryce Evening Times Sport, April 27 AI picks Fraser Foster among Celtic's greatest ever starting eleven. Report by Ewan Payton Celtic have had many greats in their illustrious history as a football club. From Billy McNeil to Jimmy Johnston and Scott Brown to Virgo van Dyke, there have been numerous top-class footballers to have pulled on the green and white hoops over the years. But what is the greatest ever Celtic starting eleven? Of course, this is very much a subjective topic. Every fan of the club will have their own views based on their favourite players. However, according to artificial intelligence, this list of 11 players makes up the Hoops Best Ever team. We asked ChatGPT the simple question, what is the best dream all-time Celtic starting 11? The website, an AI-powered language model developed by OpenAI, reckons Fraser Forster is Celtic's greatest goalkeeper, perhaps a controversial pick, but the Englishman was a standout during his separate spells in Glasgow. McNeil rightfully takes his place at the heart of the defence, having lifted the 1967 European Cup with the club. Of course, he famously captained and managed the team. He is partnered at the back with Paul Elliott, with Tommy Gemmell at left back, 
and Danny McGreen unsurprisingly in on the right. In the engine room, fans' favourite Paul McStay takes his place alongside Lubo Moravchik, who is on the more modern side of the team. On the wings, Jimmy Johnson and Bobby Lennox are rightfully named as the club's best attackers from the flanks. It is little surprise that Kenny Dalglish and Henrik Larsson have been selected as Celtic's two best-ever strikers to spearhead the attack. The pair have well over 280 goals between them from their times at Parkhead. The Celtic All-Star eleven in a 4-4-2 formation is Foster, McGrain, McNeil, Elliott and Gemmell. Johnson, Moravchik, McStay, Lennox, Dalglish, Larson. Report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, April 27. F1 Academy, a game changer for Perth teenager. Report by Susan Egglestaff. The world of motorsport, particularly at the top level, is notoriously male-dominated. At the sports pinnacle, Formula One, more and more women are breaking through behind the scenes, but on the grid, it's men everywhere you look. It's been 30 years since a woman appeared on the F1 grid, and there's widespread agreement it's about time that changed. The Formula One Academy is designed to be the game changer and ensure female drivers have a route to the very top of motorsport. This is no gimmick. The newly formed F1 Academy is an all-female driver category that aims to develop and prepare young female drivers to progress to higher levels of the competition. That it is headed up by Susie Wolfe, the former Williams development driver who, in 2014, became the first woman in over two decades to take part in a F1 weekend, indicates just how serious an initiative this is. Fifteen girls and young women between the ages of 16 and 22 from across the world have won the ferocious battle for seats on the grid, and one of those fortuitous individuals is Chloe Grant from Perth. The 17-year-old has long been touted as one of Scotland's premier young motorsport talents, with a string of successes in karting and then single-seater racing in the GB4 Championship, making clear she had significant potential. But it's the promotion to the French ART Grand Prix team in the F1 Academy that has turned Grant's career around. The exorbitant cost of motorsport meant that had Grant not been invited to be a part of this inaugural F1 Academy season, her dream of becoming a top-level driver would have, in all likelihood, been over despite the fact she's still a teenager. Says Grant, To be a part of the F1 Academy is huge. It's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. 
If I hadn't signed this season, I wouldn't be racing this year, and that'd be the end of my single-seater career. So this means everything to me. And as she goes on to explain quite how exorbitant the cost of being involved in motorsport is, it becomes clear that it's no exaggeration when she describes it as ridiculous amounts of money. She says, to do British F4, the minimum you'd be spending is around £350,000. And then when you get to FIA level, it goes into millions of pounds, so the amounts are crazy. In this sport, everyone's dream when they're young is to be an F1 driver, and it was definitely my dream too. When you start to understand the financial side of a sport, you start to realise how difficult it is to make it to F1. So I began to think, maybe my path would be down the touring cars or GT racing route. So F1 Academy couldn't have come at a more perfect time for me. The championship begins tomorrow, with the first of seven rounds taking place in Austria, travelling round a number of European countries before culminating in America in October. It has been hailed as a game-changing initiative in a sport which has a clear issue with giving women the opportunity to reach the very top, and so Grant is understandably appreciative of the opportunity to take this significant step forward in her career. And while she admits she's been lucky enough in her decade-long racing career to have been avoiding the victim of regular sexism, she's certainly no stranger to being targeted as a result of being a girl in a man's world. She says, I've been racing for 10 years, and it's only recently I've experienced any sexism towards me. In karting, I only experienced one driver who was sexist towards me, and that's because he couldn't handle being beaten by me. He'd put me in barriers and tried to take me off, and he was definitely targeting me because I'm a girl. Other than that though, things in karting were fine and I loved it. Then I won a JSCC scholarship and moved up to cars and I got a few comments saying I only won it because I'm a girl. I knew that wasn't true because it was based on a point system, but people would still try to argue the fact. It's jealousy, that's why people act like that. While some argue that the physical advantages men hold means women will never be able to compete alongside them, Grant entirely disputes the suggestion that, within motorsport anyway, physical disadvantages hinder her progress. The death of women and girls is, in fact, she believes, down to young girls having been so scarce at grassroots level, which inevitably has led to few progressing through the ranks to the top of the sport. She says, in other sports, the physical side of things does matter and men have an advantage, but in motorsport, 
Whether you're male or female does not matter. Yes, it's a very physical sport, but I can assure you that I'm in really good shape and I can manage the physical side of things fine. I think some people just cannot handle that girls are getting into a sport that has traditionally been so male-dominated. It is the fans who have that opinion though, not the vast majority of drivers. They respect you, and as soon as you have your helmet on, they don't care if you're male or female. They only care if you're a fast driver. I think it's simply why there's so many men at the very top like F1. It's simply there's just not as many girls have been doing it at grassroots level. But now, I think there's more girls in the sport than there has ever been. I see a lot of young girls under 10 getting involved, which makes me very happy. Grant is well aware that with being awarded a seat in such a prestigious championship as the F1 Academy comes considerable pressure. Competition for podium places will be, she knows, fierce. The teenager admits she is far from oblivious of the weight upon her shoulders, but no one has higher expectations for her than herself as she creeps that bit closer to her ultimate goal of becoming an F1 driver. She continues, It's a lot of pressure being on the grid this season. Every single girl there wants to win, so it's going to be very tough. It's difficult to set definite targets because there's a lot of unknowns, but I do want podium finishes and really I want to be winning. I want to show what I can really do. I do feel I'm a step closer to F1 now, but it all just depends on how I perform over the season. I know how fast it can all be taken away, so I just have to keep training and focus on round one and driving well. Report by Susan Egglestaff Evening Times Sport, April 27 Arthur Newman named in Rangers Best Eleven Report by Aidan Smith Picking the best Rangers Eleven of all time is a question that is poured over by fans on a weekly basis. But what happens when you ask the questions to an artificial intelligence bot? Let's find out. We asked ChatGPT the simple question, what is the best dream all-time Rangers starting 11? Here's what the bot wrote. Picking the best 11 players of all time to play for Rangers FC is a subjective task and different people may have different opinions. However, based on the club's history and the achievements of various players, here is a possible selection. 1. Andy Gorham, goalkeeper. Gorham enjoyed great success during the 1990s. He won three Scottish Premier League titles, three Scottish Cups and two Scottish League Cups with the club. He was also capped 43 times by the Scotland national team, appearing at two World Cup tournaments. 2. 
Sandy Jardine, right back. Jardine won numerous honours with the club, including three Scottish League titles, five Scottish Cups and four Scottish League Cups. He was also capped 38 times by the Scotland national team. 3. Arthur Newman, left back. Newman was an important player for Rangers during the late 1990s and early 2000s, playing a key role in the club's success. He helped the team win three Scottish Premier League titles, two Scottish Cups and two Scottish League Cups. In total, he made over 200 appearances for the club, scoring 12 goals. 4. Richard Goff, centre-back and captain. A commanding central defender who played over 300 games for Rangers and won nine Scottish League titles with the club. 5. John Gregg, centre-back. A Rangers legend who played over 750 games for the club and captained the team during their successful period in the late 1960s and early 1970s. 6. Brian Loudrup, midfielder, a Danish international who played for Rangers during the 1990s and helped the team win several trophies, including two Scottish League titles. 7. Jim Baxter, midfielder, considered by many as the greatest Rangers player of all time. A gifted midfielder with incredible ball control and passing ability. 8. Paul Gascoigne, central midfielder. A flamboyant and talented midfielder who played for Rangers during the 1990s and helped the team win two Scottish League titles and a Scottish Cup. 9. Ali McCoist, forward. The club's all-time leading scorer with over 350 goals in over 580 appearances, won 10 Scottish League titles and a Scottish Cup with Rangers. 10. Davy Cooper, left winger, a gifted winger with incredible dribbling skills and an eye for goal, scored over 70 goals in over 300 appearances for Rangers. 11. Willie Henderson, right winger, a tricky and skillful winger who played over 400 games for Rangers and won several Scottish League titles and cups. Report by Aidan Smith. Evening Times of Sport, April 28. Barry Ferguson calls out three Rangers stars. Report by Aidan Smith. Barry Ferguson has called out three Rangers stars who he feels must produce more when it matters against Celtic. The Ibrox outfit go head-to-head -head against the City rivals on Sunday in the Scottish Cup semi-finals as Michael Beale aims to get a victory against Ange Postecoglou. Ahead of the fixture, Fergus has given his thoughts on Rangers' potential starting eleven and he has pinpointed attention on Alfredo Morelos, Todd Cantwell and Malik Tillman. He told the Daily Record, I said before the last Old Firm game 
that I would have gone with Fashion Sakala up front, and I am sticking to my guns for this one as well. I believe Sakala's blistering pace can cause Celtic's central defence some serious problems. Obviously, that's a big call, because it means leaving Morelos on the bench, and even though I've always been a big supporter of the Colombian, even I am now reaching the conclusion Rangers might be better off without him. The problem with Morelos is that you have no idea what you're going to get from him. It's hard to know if his heart is still in it. At his best, he can be absolutely unplayable, but all too often this season he's been going through the motions and Beale simply cannot afford to take any gambles or carry any passengers where this game is concerned. There is no point in sitting him down, looking in his eyes and asking him if he's up for it this weekend. It's way too late for that. Never mind Morelis, if there are any players who need to be spoken to and reminded of the importance of stopping Celtic from winning a treble, then they shouldn't be anywhere near Bill's starting eleven. If they do not understand what this game means, then, to put it very simply, they don't deserve to wear the jersey. This is not a must-win match. It's a case of don't even think about not winning it. There will be no excuses and no room for hard luck stories afterwards. Get it won and make sure that trophy stays in the cabinet on June 3 because that's the very least that Rangers demand of you. Anything less will be unforgivable as far as the fans are concerned. If you cannot accept that, or if you think it's a bit harsh, then you honestly have no idea what playing for this club is all about. Stopping Celtic is everything. It's the reason you pull on the shirt. Is that embarrassing? No, it's just the way of life in this part of the world. It's in our DNA. On Tillman and uh, Cantwell, Ferguson added, This is when you prove you know what being a Rangers player is all about. I'm looking at the likes of Todd Cantwell and Malik Tillman and asking them, how deep are you prepared to dig? These two guys have all the ability in the world, but that counts for nothing if they don't have the mentality to go with it. Let's be honest. They have both been guilty of fading out of games when things aren't going their way. I've played with people like that, and what they need is players around them who protect them and get the best out of them by doing the hard yards. I worry that Rangers look a bit soft when Ryan Jack is not doing that enforcer job in the midfield. But the more creative influences like Cantwell and Dilmont also have a responsibility to step up and grab the bull by the horns. I don't want them turning it on when things are going well. I need them to make a difference when the game is on a knife edge. Sometimes it's about rolling your sleeves up and getting wired in. And worryingly, I didn't see too much of that last weekend at Pataudry when the game was getting away from him. 
They might have felt that three points against Aberdeen did not really matter all that much, as the title has already gone. And even though Celtic slipped up at home to Motherwell, they were never going to claw them back. But that attitude sums up the whole season to this point. I have no doubt Beal has got some quality players in his squad, but sometimes talent is not enough. Sometimes finding a way to win is the be-all and end-all. The manager will find out on Sunday who has the character required to go the distance with him as he plans for the journey ahead. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport April 28 Billy Dodds worried about VAR Report by Aidan Smith Inverness manager Billy Dodds admits he is wary about his team's first exposure to VAR in tomorrow's Scottish Cup semi-final against Falkirk at Hampden. There have been numerous controversies since the technology was introduced by Premiership clubs last autumn, but Cali Thistle are not subject to the system in the Championship, and neither are the League One Bairns. Both the teams have had briefings from officials ahead of their first VAR experience, but Dodds admits he is not entirely comfortable about it and hopes its involvement does not overshadow his team's showpiece match. He said, You're wary of it, let's just say that. It was good of head of referees Crawford Allen to come up and explain how it's going to work, because it is new to us. I worry about it after I see some of the things I've seen this season. I just hope we can avoid having to use it too much and that we just go and win the game. Hopefully it does not have a big impact on the game. As a former player and a manager, and as a guy looking after my team, you cannot help but worry about it. Let's just hope it runs nice and smoothly. Dodds is hoping his side's strong league forum. They have surged to third in the championship after winning six and drawing one of their last seven games can help them get past their League One opponents and book a final showdown against Celtic or Rangers. The Cali Thistle boss said, We have got to realise how great an opportunity it is, but Falkirk will be saying the same thing. I think this game has given our league form an edge because this game is waiting for them and they all want to be in the team but the league form also gives us momentum going into this game. We couldn't be in better form going there, and we're really looking forward to it. Inverness won the Scottish Cup in 2015, and Dodds hopes pictures of that occasion adorning the walls of the Caledonian Stadium have inspired his players. And he continued, Our past success is a big part of it. I think that's why most clubs who have had success in their history stick it up on the walls because the new generation of player will be able to see that and inspire and aspire to it. I think that's why it's on the walls downstairs and it will be on the walls at other clubs. It's human nature as you walk past things like that 
to say, I want a piece of that. And I'm hoping the players have looked at that and realised what can be achieved and how special a day they could have. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport April 28 Gordon Strachan on Best Interview Aberdeen Verdict Report by Graeme McGarry Barry Robson may not yet have an extensive managerial CV, but as Aberdeen fans are finding out, much to their pleasure, he gives a heck of a job interview. If the seven consecutive wins he has now racked up, culminating in the stunning victory over Rangers that had Pitaudry rocking on Sunday, is not enough proof that he is cut out to take on the gig on a permanent basis, then Gordon Strachan is at a loss to fathom what would be. Strachan also points out that Robson's lack of frontline exposure to this point in his coaching career is offset by the years of dedication he has poured into sharpening up his knowledge and honing his craft behind the scenes showing the same application to becoming the best coach he can be as he did to making the most of his talents as a player. Strachan signed Robson while manager of Celtic and also took him to Middlesbrough, appreciating in him the drive that allowed him to put rejection as a youngster at Rangers behind him and carve out a career at the top level that eluded many other more naturally gifted players. Taking into account the man he knows, the player he was, and the coach he has become, it is no surprise then that the Aberdeen legend thinks he has more than earned his chance to prowl the Pitaudry dugout on a more permanent basis. Strachan said, absolutely. It's not up to me to tell Aberdeen what to do, but it must be one of the best interviews I've ever seen in my life. There are too many people going on about projects now or relying on baffling presentations. Well, Barry has his credentials. They are right there in front of your eyes. It's a wonderful start for him and everyone who has worked with Barry, whether that be players who have played alongside him or as a manager like myself, we are all delighted to see this. He is one of these guys who has had knockbacks in his life. He was knocked back at Rangers as a kid, and he had to work hard to come back from that. Barry is a great story of deciding your own future in life. Where he has got to now is through sheer hard work. The game itself did not come easy to him, there have been a lot more gifted people than Barry who have fallen by the wayside because they didn't have the drive that Barry has got. He also has a smashing sense of humour. He can laugh at himself, which is very important if you're going to be a manager. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but he takes what he does very seriously. Over the years I've spoken to him many times about what he's been doing and everybody says he is intense. He wants to get on, 
and he has got this drive. And I think the Aberdeen players are feeling that just now. Robson's previous role working with the Aberdeen youth teams may well in fact prove to be a huge asset in Strachan's view, citing coaches who have succeeded at the top of the game after similar groundings in support of his theory. And he has been impressed by his willingness to surround himself with more experienced heads to lean on when more difficult times arise, as they sure will. He continued, He's done a lot of work. He has put the hours in, put the groundwork in. He's worked with young players and some of the best coaches in football started off that way. You look at Brendan Rodgers, Jose Marino, all these coaches that use that time to play systems, play against systems and find out what works for them. You never know when your break comes, but you prepare for that break and Barry has obviously done that. He has put the hard work in and he's getting the rewards. At the moment it's going great, but there will be rough times as well and that is when he will be tested. Hopefully there are not too many of them round the corner and hopefully life is good to him. But every manager comes to that point when they face a situation that isn't in the coaching manual. But he's got a lot of people around him that he can lean on if he needs to when such times arise. He has Steve Agnew with him who has been about. I worked with Steve years ago at Middlesbrough and he's an intelligent fellow. It's good to have a guiding hand like that. Not so much a mentor, I'm not sure that works too well, but somebody you can bounce ideas of. I had Gary Pendry at Celtic, and I had Alex Miller when I was at Coventry, both older than me and both had been managers and coached at the highest level. I had my raw energy, which Barry has, but you need someone just to temper it now and again. I don't know how they are working or what they are doing, but whatever they are doing, it is certainly working just now. Robson's status as a figurehead of Aberdeen is a far cry from the days when Strachan would often have to separate him from one of his Celtic teammates on the training field, but he says those Lennoxtown jousts back in the day only serve to prove the competitive beast that lurks within him. And he continued, They were all good lads, but they changed when they got on the football field. My biggest concern every day at training was keeping him and Willow Flood apart. They were the best of mates, but dear oh dear, they would go at it hammer and tongs. Barry's discipline obviously got better the older he got and they were great people to work with, but my only problem was him and Willow. I used to try to put them on the same side in games, but they didn't even like that. Report by Graeme McGarry Evening Times Sport April 28 O'Neill accuses Rangers of paranoia Report by Aidan MacDonald Celtic legend Martin O'Neill has accused Rangers of being paranoid ahead of the Scottish Cup semi-final between the two sides. 
the former Hoops boss, who won three league titles during his time in charge of the Parkhead site, also shot down calls that there is a conspiracy against the Hoops as a result of the post-split fixtures. Ange Postecoglou had previously stated that he would have liked the Scottish champions to have won of their first two games at home after it was confirmed that Celtic would play Hearts at Tynecastle on match day 32 and then make the trip to Ibrox after that. O'Neill also touched on recent grumblings Rangers have had after Alfredo Morelos had a goal chopped off in the last derby. He said, Celtic start off after the break with two away games. Do you feel as if there is a conspiracy theory there? I left paranoia behind some time ago. It must be starting again. It was good to see from a Celtic viewpoint that Rangers are now taking it on after that disallowed goal. It's really great, something I never would have thought would happen. It is what it is. If you're going to win a league, I don't think it matters what week it happens to be. O'Neill also addressed comparisons drawn between Kyogo and Hoops legend Henrik Larsson. The Japan international has scored 29 goals for the Scottish champions so far this season, leading to some beginning to compare the two. And while he thinks the forward has been a great addition to the Parkhead squad, the Northern Irishman feels Kyogo still has a way to go before he is at the level of the former Champions League winner. He said, Henrik Larsson scored a lot of goals. Firstly, he scored them in Scotland, and there might have been a bit of derision about that, but then he scored them in Europe. One of his greatest games ever was in the UEFA Cup final, when he scored two goals against a side that went on to win the Champions League. So what does he do after that? He goes to Barcelona. I know it was difficult breaking in and being a starter in that side with all the great players around him. He makes a difference in the European Cup final. And then he goes on aged 33 or 34 and scores goals at Manchester United. That is the sort of thing that Kyogo, hopefully, in the course of his career, could end up achieving. And that would be great, but that is a long way away. I am sure manager Postacoglu is delighted with him as I was with Larson. Report by Aidan MacDonald. Evening Times Sport, May 1. Brighton boss admits Billy Gilmer game time mistake. Report by Darren Johnson Brighton boss Roberto De Zerbi admits he has made a mistake not giving Scotland international Billy Gilmer more game time. Midfielder Gilmer shone in only his third Premier League start for the Seagulls in the weekend's 6-0 thrashing of Wolves. The 21-year-old has been forced to spend the majority of the campaign watching on from the bench after only managing 11 outings in all competition since joining in a £9 million deal from Chelsea last summer. The form of Argentina World Cup winner Alexis McAllister and Moises Quesada 
is behind Gilmer's lack of action, but Deserbi admits he should have used the former Rangers trainee more often. He said, McAllister and Quesada are a very high level, and it's difficult for Gilmer to make a competition. Gilmer was the best player on the pitch. After the game, I must admit, possibly in the past, I have made some mistakes with him and Dennis Undab because I did not give them possibility to play. But for me, it is difficult to decide to play without McAllister, Solly Marsh, Matoma, and Moises Casida. It is difficult. Report by Darren Johnston. Evening Times Sport May 1 Danny Devine could repeat Scottish Cup heroics with Inverness. Report by Ewan Payton Danny Devine will forever be a Scottish Cup hero in the eyes of Inverness fans. After Saturday's semi-final win over Falkirk, the same opponents Callie Thistle defeated in that 2015 showpiece, Devine could well help the club repeat history. The defender had a busy afternoon dealing with the Bairn strikers, despite keeping a clean sheet. A Billy Mackay double and a header by Daniel Mackay sealed progression to this year's final for the Highlanders. The 30-year-old does not want to compare the achievements, insisting they deserve to be recognised on their own merits. He said, Falkirk are quite a possession-based team and had quite a bit of the ball in the first half, but we were clinical, had some great balls into the box and some great finishing, so I am absolutely delighted to get to another final. Falkirk have some good players, and at times we had to throw our bodies on the line and defend. We did that, and thankfully we kept the ball out of the net, and it was a good victory in the end. Any final you reach is a massive achievement. We are down a division now, and I don't think anyone saw it coming mid-season. But cup runs are always a bonus, and we are absolutely delighted. You try and treat it as if it's just another game, but it's in the back of your mind that it's not. As much as you try to put the nerves to the back of your head, it can creep up. I've said to the young guys before, we're here if they want to pick our brains on what happened the last time, and hopefully it gives those boys confidence. Against Falkirk, the pressure was all on us. We are the higher division team, and Falkirk fancied their chances, but we handled it brilliantly, and to see the game out 3 nothing was massive. While a game against Celtic will be a daunting task, Inverness will need to keep the heed as they battle it out on the promotion playoff front. Devine is keen for him and his teammates to keep a cool head throughout what is said to be a massive month for the club. And he added, It's going to be tough, but we did it in the last round when we beat Kilmarnock and went on an amazing run in the league. We switched off and turned our attention to the league. Now we need to do that again, going into next week. The final is a month away, so there's plenty of time to prepare for it. We will hopefully have to deal with the playoffs first, 
then we can turn our attention to that report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, May 1. Hart salutes Celtic sacrifice. Report by Liam Bryce. The depth of Joe Hart's gratitude says it all. Life as a goalkeeper is made considerably easy with Cameron Carter Vickers stationed in front of you, but things have been anything but easy for Celtic's warrior centre-back for quite some time. That his season is now at an end to allow surgery on a troublesome knee injury makes a towering performance in yesterday's Scottish Cup semi-final triumph all the more remarkable. Carter Vickers walked away with a Man of the Match award for his efforts, as he and partner Carol Starfelt repelled Rangers time and again in their pursuit of an answer to Jota's first half header. They were not given an inch by Ange Postecoglou's resilient backline, from which the American will now withdraw for a well-earned period of rest and recovery. Hart did not have a save of any real note to make over 90 minutes, and that was in no small part due to Carter Vickers' excellence. The Celtic keeper delivered a post-match interview on his colleague's efforts to play through the pine barrier that was about as candid and genuinely effusive as you'll hear. Said Hart, We've known that for a while, this injury. What an exceptional player. Whatever happens in the future happens. But what a top player. What a top professional. I love him. He deserves to be pain free. You do want him back as quickly as possible. But he's a person. He's not just a great centre half. He's a person who's been gritting his teeth and sticking his boots on for us. As a team and a club, we appreciate that. We've had to keep this under wraps. That's the nature of the game. It is nice that the manager has been able to say that. Cam has been exceptional for us this season. Whenever he's ready, he's ready. But Yuki, Welshie are top centre-halves at this club. They'll be ready to fill his shoes. Victory at Hamden tees up a Scottish Cup final against Inverness Caledonian Thistle that makes the odds on a Celtic treble very short indeed. Ange Postecoglou's side can also be confirmed as Premiership champions for the second consecutive season when they head to Tynecastle on Sunday. And then, come June 3, they will return to the National Stadium in an attempt to make it a clean sweep. But a key factor in this relentless winning habit has been a steadfast refusal to look beyond the immediate future, something that has served Hart and his teammates extremely well. Smiled Hart, I'd love to have that conversation with you. I'd love to and I'd love to think about it. But right now there are way too many important games ahead of us. We'll see. I hope we can have this conversation after the cup final. I don't try to savour these days more. I just do. It's amazing what an atmosphere there was out there. It was the same last year. A 50-50 split. 
two top fan bases rooting for their team. It's so tight. There is so much tension in these games. One mistake or a slip can swing how it turns out. It's amazing to play in, and I've been lucky to play in a lot of big atmospheres, and I do not take that for granted. I love playing under that pressure. Pressing, attacking rotations, fitness. So much of what you see from this Celtic team can be traced back to how they work on a day-to-day basis. But that bulletproof of winning mentality and ability to thrive under the pressure Hart mentions is something more intangible. So just where does it come from? Said Hart, it's a great question and it's something that you can't take for granted. We're not a team that's always going to have the answers, but we are always going to go down swinging. We are always going to put it on the line. The fact we've got the attitude to try and do that has stood us in good stead. We speak all the time. We don't take any of this for granted. We are going to keep working hard. We'll probably be off on Monday, but on Tuesday, we'll be looking to get our heads down and work hard to build for the rest of the season. You can't have a week off when you're at Celtic. We just stay in the present. We've got an amazing head coach, great backup staff inside, and a support which won't let us relax. We don't want to let up. We are living in this moment and trying to get the most out of every opportunity that's in front of us. We work hard every day. The manager goes on about it, and he's right. We don't take our foot off the gas at any moment. We're not perfect. We're not claiming to be, even though we are striving for it. There are going to be moments in games, and there have been in all games this season, even when we've had a breathtaking first half, when we've had to show a side to our football. We did that again on Sunday. Report by Liam Bryce. That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Q and Review and to tell your friends about our service.